Hi friends, welcome to the Psyche Mental Wellbeing Podcast with me, your host, Hannah. On the show, I'm joined each episode by an amazing guest to have an honest conversation, share our real life experiences and tackle stigma and misconceptions around mental health along the way. We believe that everyone would benefit from focusing a little more on their mental well-being, and we're here to support you to do just that. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi friends and welcome back. I hope you are doing well, having a, a good Monday. And I'm really happy to share this conversation with you, but need to do a quick content warning around uh, some of the, the topics that we cover in this episode. So we're joined by Ellie and Ellie is the host of her own podcast. And she, in that podcast, she shares about her experiences being in a psychiatric unit. And we're talking about that experience today. And so Ellie does mention her experience of suicidal thoughts and attempting suicide Um, and so she's really open in sharing with us so just encourage you to check in with yourself to see if you're in the headspace to listen to this conversation and and if it's something that could potentially be uh, difficult for you to hear basically looking after yourself I guess self-care so we like to give a content warning so so you know what we're getting into but I think this is it was such a, a a great conversation to have. I really enjoyed speaking with Ellie and I think also a really vitally important conversation to have. Um, And Ellie was really open, as I said, in sharing her experience. And we really talked about stigma, particularly around people who have spent time in psychiatric units and the stigma around that. And this idea that, well, it's not going to be me, um, that I'm whatever, that it could happen to anyone. So I think particularly as this is coming out off the back of our special time to talk day episode I think it's great timing I think it's really important to be continuing that conversation not only about mental health which we're doing anyway um all the time but also about stigma and um I guess I'm going to take this opportunity to thank all of the guests that we had on the time to change episode so to Hazel to Anne, Rosie and Halim. Thank you so much for joining me and sharing. I think it was it was a great episode. I, as I've said, I think Time to Talk Day is a great way of focusing the kind of collective attention on mental health and stigma. I think there are some people who talk about it a lot, myself <laughs> and Ellie with her podcast as well, being two of those people. Um, and so I think it's it's good to take advantage of when other people are paying attention to a really important topic to discuss it. Um, and I'm really glad that we are continuing that conversation beyond that day in this episode. Um, so I really hope you enjoy it. I think Ellie, um, such a warm person, really uh, shared so graciously with us from her experience, really insightful. And um, although I think it's a it's a some difficult topics that she discusses it's it's done in a I guess it, it doesn't feel to me it doesn't feel like a heavy episode if that makes sense um it was a really um, fun episode so I really hope that you enjoy this conversation and I will be back super quickly afterwards Hi, everyone, and I'm really happy to welcome this week's guest, Ellie, to the podcast. So, Ellie, welcome, and if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Hello, thank you so much for having me. My name's Ellie, and I am a 27-year-old woman who <laughs> last year had a breakdown. It's almost, it's coming up to literally a year ago that I had this this breakdown. I'm a teacher, and it was GCSE results day, and I had a, I suppose maybe unrealistic expectations of the results my students were going to get and as a result of that I was really really distressed by the results that they did get and then as a result of that had a breakdown essentially and couldn't work became very suicidal ended up on a psych ward and then another psych ward and then after about three months of that I was released back into the community um so yeah, it's been a, and then lockdown happened. So that was really interesting as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How are, how are you doing at the moment with, with lockdown and, and all of that? Well, I feel like I had a, almost like a dry run of um, lockdown by being in, in a psychiatric unit where my freedom was limited and 
my interaction with people was limited as well so for me it was you know perhaps slightly easier than it would have been had I not had that experience <laughs> yeah it was an interesting one yeah and I, and I guess the um when we're recording this anyway it's that sort of exam time of year again so yeah. has that been have you been sort of back in school or have you been um been off has it affected you at all that sort of weird um, exam period time that we've got at the moment yeah I haven't actually returned I'm t- returning to work in two weeks time I haven't been back to work since um because I I've, I made the decision to leave that job and I'm starting afresh in September which I think is probably the best thing for me given the fact that it was really every I think one of the big things with any mental health problem that you might face is kind of the way it's perceived by other people sometimes um, and I think especially in a professional environment I was very sadly I was very kind of hesitant to return to the same environment because and perhaps this was just this is just me being I don't know paranoid but I just kind of thought oh people might think differently of me or they might not want to ask me things or put pressure on me because they might think oh Ellie can't cope or whatever so um, so yeah so I, I in terms of the results obviously I'm I'm hopeful that the students because I, I did teach a, a year group well I teach English so I taught the same students all the way through and then sadly this year obviously <laughs> I didn't because of not just the lockdown but I was in hospital um, but hopefully that they'll have come through um, we'll see <laughs> yeah yeah it's um a strange time uh, yeah for it uh, so yeah, I'd love to, uh, if you're comfortable to, to d- kind of dive into your um, your story and your experience a little bit more to, um, I guess, to try and understand what what that whole kind of process is like from um, being sectioned, you know, I believe, through being in a, in a psychiatric unit to then coming back out into the community. So I don't know how comfortable you are talking about the I'm very (laughs) honestly (laughs) because I have my own podcast where I talk quite openly about it so yeah I'm uh, I'm very very I find that helps I find you know talking about my mental health on on the podcast I find that kind of helps to separate from it a little bit and kind of yeah (laughs) um yeah I was gonna say uh, you know how comfortable you feel kind of talking about the day that um that you had your sort of breakdown um, yeah what happened then yeah Um, so if, if you're not a teacher then you won't know but um essentially what happens is that on the day the day before results day uh some members of staff are allowed to go into school so it tends to be kind of heads of department and the head teacher and they get the results in advance so that they can prepare i suppose whatever pr spiel they're going to do <laughs> the next day and which children will need remarks and all that sort of thing um and my i was taking on so this year i was supposed to go and be the head of department so person who was my line manager was kind of giving me the results over the phone so she she rang me and uh, gave me the results and I was writing them down and because I was concentrating on writing I hadn't really registered what the results were Um, and then I was looking over the names and I just at that moment was just like what like I because the results to me were just completely at odds with what I had in my head was going to be the outcomes for these students Um, and I just went into complete shock mode. Um, and I think she didn't really even say anything particularly negative about the results because looking at it now from a completely different perspective, actually the results they got were great. They were, you know, with any cohort of students, you have some who achieve exactly as you predicted. You have some who um, overachieve. Well, I don't know if you can overachieve, but they excel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and then, of course, sadly, you do have students who, for whatever reason, on the day, it doesn't work for them, or perhaps in the lead up, they've kind of told you, oh, on the on the day, I wasn't sure about this, and maybe this meant this, and you think, oh, dear. Um, and sadly, that happens, and, that, and that's part of life. Um, but my brain at that moment, I just, it was just consumed by these, these results. And I actually had a friend come over that evening, and she came over and I was just still in complete shock at these results. And so we talked about it for a little, a little bit. And then my friend was like, okay, here's what's going on with me. And I like, tried to move the conversation on. And I just couldn't, I, just, I literally could not 
my brain was I, I was just so in my head at that stage that I just couldn't have any idea or I was probably a really rubbish friend at that point to be honest because mm. I, I just couldn't do it um, and then I didn't sleep um, all night and then the next day I went straight into school and um, again anyone who I came into contact with I just immediately told them how bad these results were I had no interest in anything they had to say um, <laughs> and yeah and then I made it home then I didn't sleep again and then my husband turned to me and was like Ellie you've not slept for like two days we've talked about this and he was getting kind of a bit frustrated with me because I, because I was going through every single student being like this student should have got this and they got this but maybe it was because of this and you know and he was going Ellie just move you know it's happened whatever just move on and he was kind of an, almost annoyed and I was like what <laughs> don't you understand because to me it was like the world was imploding mm. um and then he said Ellie I think you might be having a nervous breakdown and that was it and and I kind of was like yeah I think I think I am <laughs> so yeah yeah had um a couple of questions uh, whether there had been any sort of I guess clues in the in the run-up to it and I know sort of exam period can be very stressful and, and it's you know what, what you're focusing on as a teacher but were there any kind of warning signs and then I'm also curious whether your colleagues in school when you went in whether they kind of noticed anything was maybe you know that I, I think there's some I don't like the no word normal but you know what I mean some kind of like normal concern as a teacher but whether they yeah. had any kind of hints that actually this was was Good more than that well I think regarding the colleagues I'm not sure I think um a lot of it was just in in my head and maybe I was talking about it a little bit but not really and the main focus is kind of the kids and them mm. receiving their results and stuff so I, and I tried to stay for as little time as possible just because I was crumbling <laughs> so um no I don't think it was obvious then but maybe obviously if they had a time machine and they went back perhaps they would have seen but I don't think because the emphasis wasn't on me at the time um warning signs looking back now yeah there were loads <laughs> um I just worked ridiculous hours I had no confidence or self-belief in myself at all very little kind of I was very insecure about everything and constantly needed reassurance but then at the same time I would constantly request more things to do more responsibilities because I wanted to prove myself mm. um which meant that I was putting a lot of pressure on myself which meant I had to work the long hours and then I would work all weekend um and I, I just would sleep really really poorly and I drank so much coffee <laughs> like I love coffee <laughs> but too much <laughs> yeah same that sounds familiar I mean yeah. you know I'm I'm not in uh, in teaching anymore and I think that there's this perception for people who've not been in education that and I think it's maybe changing a bit now that people have been homeschooling of oh the teachers are really it's chill because you finish at like quarter past three and then you have the weekends off and then you have the holidays off but actually the pressure of the role and, and the pressure for getting your students kind of through mm. is is massive um yeah and the coffee I mean I know probably most of the teachers I know <laughs> survive on coffee which is great but when you have that much of it I think that sort of I don't know if you get the kind of flutters the kind of yeah palpitations and yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And we also had Ofsted. Um, we knew that they were going to come that year and I was in a failing school. So it was a, mm. what's it called? Not requires improvements. It was unsatisfactory or something. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and so there was a lot of pressure regarding that. And we didn't know obviously when they were going to come because you don't. Mm. And they didn't come until the second to last week of the summer term. So literally right at the end of the year. So we'd been on high alert all year that they were going to come in and everything yeah, needed to be perfect and, you know. and I guess then if it was a year without Ofsted you'd get through the exams and then that sort of pressure eases a little bit because the exams are done it's then just sort of waiting to see how they got on but you've got that continuing on right to the end of now there's this other thing that's um that's yeah. coming yeah well ba basically anything that was a stick that I could use to beat myself with <laughs> I did uh, I, I sadly I think you're right I think that there are a lot of teachers who are like me maybe not to the extreme where they end up having a breakdown um 
but you know they live in this perpetual state of anxiety and perfectionism and wanting to be the best and and I think because teaching is such a solitary job in some ways because it's just you and those children and mm. you're really the only one who knows exactly what happened and even then you, you don't <laughs> all the time because it's raining one day or I don't know someone's had a fight in the you know whatever like there's yeah. so many different variables that you're expected to control and there's so many different people that you're kind of accountable to you know you're accountable to the students but you're also accountable to their parents and you're also accountable to Ofsted and you're also accountable to the internal school quality assurance process like there's so many different people and so I think it draws in people like me who were very much like I need to be the best and here's a really good way of finding out how bad I am and how many areas I have to improve on um yeah and I think teachers thrive off of that so <laughs> it's bad yeah. isn't it yeah yeah for my mental health it was one of the things that I I love working with young people but I can't work in in a school I don't think not full-time anyway Um, just for my mental for my own mental health and um, yeah yeah. so what what did what did you teach (laughs) a bit of everything oh right (laughs) Uh, I trained in primary but then I taught in special education which actually is quite different in terms of the results pressure because yeah um, there was some pressure, but we had young people who were quite often redoing GCSEs or A-levels and it was really just trying to get them to pass rather than, I guess, the same pressure that you would have in um, in kind of a mainstream school. But I taught um, GCSE, math, science, and then psychology up to A-level, which was like my main wow. subject. Yeah, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of pressure and um, yeah, stressful <laughs> at times. It is. Um, <laughs> So when you uh, when your husband said to you that he thought you were having um, a nervous breakdown and you sort of said, yeah, I think I think you're right. What was the the process then? Um, Well, he was very much like, okay, um, maybe we need to go to the GP. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. if you're ill, you go to the doctors. (laughs) So uh, we went to my GP. I think that was the same day. And the GP just put me on some antidepressants and was like, okay, well, I'll sign you off work so you don't have to go back immediately. And then um, we can have like a weekly check in, basically. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, to be honest, I was very much not really <laughs> interested in anything that w- wasn't to do with my results. And the fact that for me, it was, it was like, I had this constant sensation of, you know, that it's like, you know, when you're swinging on a chair and then you tilt back a little bit too far and you think, oh my gosh, I'm going to fall. Like that, that sensation was just my everyday experience all the time. Mm. So um, I really had no energy for doctors or anything. Um, But then I very swiftly became, because living like that is miserable. (laughs) Mm. Um, I had loads of panic attacks, which I'd never had before at all. I was having like, at least 10 a day if not more um and I just was convinced that I had no future now and that everything and the longer I stayed off work although I really just couldn't have gone to work which was really inconvenient because I was actually doing one of the inset mornings I was doing the whole morning um and I was like I need to go in because people are relying on me and my husband was like Ellie if you go in like it will not bode well like for you you know public humiliation and having to be dragged out and so but I was like no I am going in and I really really tried I kind of got dressed but I just couldn't leave that I just couldn't do it and I've never been in a state before where my body actually rebels against my mind um because I was very much driven by you know my mind and what I wanted to achieve and deadlines and and actually my body just said no you're not doing not doing this anymore and things which were really simple and easy to do like putting your shoes on they just became really difficult and I just and I, that might if you've never been through it it's it probably sounds ridiculous and like of course you can put your shoes on but I I honestly couldn't I really just found daily life miserable and I think as a result of that I then became very suicidal very quickly mm. um yes <laughs> and, and were you sleeping better then or was your sleep still really disrupted no, no my sleep was horrendous I barely mm. slept um and then they put me on these uh sleeping pills mm-hmm. which were good for um 
like getting you to sleep but they didn't keep you asleep and then I would be up and then they put me on these which apparently they're like the the revelation in psychiatry at the moment they're actually anti-allergy pills but they have like a really sedating effect I'm taking them (laughs) yeah (laughs) well they were brilliant like I took two and I just couldn't wake up (laughs) I mean it's it's good it helps you sleep but also it's like I'm taking pills to go to sleep so yeah I guess it's that sleep is such a such an important thing and and when you're in uh, a mental state where, where everything's really challenging that sleep it just you're getting more and more exhausted and getting more your t- your brain is getting more and more tired with all those thoughts going around and it just yeah. yeah so I guess it's that sort of trying to sort of force yourself to sleep to sort of get some of that energy back but I don't think it's the most fulfilling sleep when you do sleep because it's very no yeah. and then because I would then feel that I I just felt guilty about it all as well. I felt like it was all my fault and it was my fault that I couldn't go in and it was my fault that I was off and I was inconveniencing people. And then if I was sleeping, then I'd think, oh, well, look, you can't be that unwell, can you? Because you, you went to sleep last night or, oh my goodness, you slept until 10 a.m. You know, how ridiculous. <laughs> because just anything I could use to be horrible to myself, I was really good at that. <laughs> so you're on, um, it sounds like a, a couple of different medications to sort of help with, with the mood stuff I guess and, and sleep and then you said you were feeling suicidal so how did you then get from there to being admitted to a psych ward? I started really seriously and to me it was completely rational like I don't think I have a future I'm causing everybody in my life pain by being alive therefore I should just not be alive I should be dead and I because I had such so such sorry such low self-worth to me, that was fine. I, I had no problem with not being alive because what, what, I didn't see what I contributed um, to the world. And I think at one of my weekly meetings, my G- I never said to my GP, oh, by the way, I'm going to kill myself. I never said that, but I did. I think I worried the GP. They have to ask you set questions. They do these mm-hmm. psychometric tests. So they referred me to the crisis team who, mm-hmm. um, if you don't know, they, they come out to your house and they, it's, you, well, in my area, they come out and it's kind of a different person every time. And they, they ask you, have you eaten? Have you slept? How, what, how are you feeling? And obviously you're like, well, I'm suicidal. <laughs> so not great. Um, but also I, I think at the time it's difficult for me to look back and, and, see them and be rational because I don't know I think everything was really really negative at the time so I was and I was very much expecting for someone to come along and just fix me and I was like well you've been I've been referred to you so you should be fixing me and that that was not the case and I then was referred to uh, a psychological therapy and in my second appointment they told me that I had to leave because I was too unwell so they couldn't treat me and I found that really difficult because I just thought, well, there's no hope for me at all. Um, and I, so I basically started, I don't, I, I called them like my moments essentially, which was basically where the despair was so engulfing that I had no, no other thoughts. And it would happen a lot at night where I'd just be like, I could just kill myself now. No one will stop me. Or I would be walking somewhere and I would find myself at the train station and think, I'll just jump. Like, it's fine or in my garden I had a washing line and I would constantly think about that and I think eventually it got to the point where it was just so unbearable and I, I suppose it's like if someone was in your head and I didn't hear voices but I imagine that if someone's telling you constantly like um, I don't know touch the stove constantly in your head you're eventually going to crack and touch the stove and for me obviously I was convinced that I should be dead so I I then attempted suicide and I think because I was under the crisis team at the time and they were becoming increasingly concerned about me to the point where I was having people come because it's it's usually like every few days but I was getting it every day and they were also ringing me Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that they were building a case for me to be admitted anyway and then obviously I had no leg to stand on. <laughs> so I was then admitted um, into a psychiatric unit. <laughs> so yes. And how, how, was, how was that experience? Because I think for a lot of listeners tuning in, and I know um, we mentioned your podcast, you, you share um, about that experience. But I think for a lot of people listening, it's maybe not something that they've experienced. Yeah. Um, well, 
I was on two psych wards and the first one I was on was really different to the second one. Um, so the first one I was on was mixed. So it was men and women. Um, it was dormitory. So you were sharing a room with six, five other people. So rooms of six. You were sharing toilets and bathrooms and it was basically part of a hospital. So it felt like it was just like a hospital ward. But obviously it was for people who were longer term patients. So but it, it hadn't been built for the purpose. And so it was quite cramped. Um, and I mean, it was pretty, pretty bad. <laughs> I have to say it was pretty bad because again, I had a perspective that, right. Okay. Finally, I didn't want to go onto the psych ward, obviously, but I didn't wasn't really give much of a choice, but I thought, well, the one thing I can cling to is at least now I'll get the help that I need. Mm. And actually this, the first psychiatric unit that I was at, they didn't have any psychological therapy at all. Um, and the only treatment that they offered was medication. And I was like, well, I was on medication before, you know? So I, I really just, I don't know. I think that was the biggest thing was that I just didn't, I felt like I was being contained rather than mm. supported. And then I was also, which is what my podcast is all about all the people I met and what I learned from them but you know I was with people all the time who were unwell and it was it was just a really challenging experience I had no privacy I then became really really suicidal where I was trying to I would try and kill basically I got through the day by thinking I'll be dead at the end of it and I would try and kill myself at least once a day which mm. I think after a while I realized it's probably not going to happen because I was on such high observations. Mm. So the, every time that you make an attempt, they have to demonstrate how they have responded. So um, by the end, I was sleeping uh, in a communal area on the floor um, without a sheet um, because I would use the sheet to hang myself and with the lights on and people coming in. So again, that's really not great for your mental health. Um, mm. And obviously I wasn't allowed to leave or go outside. So I had weeks and weeks where I didn't, didn't go outside at all which again isn't great for your mental health but they have to respond so it's a really difficult situation so yeah yeah Yeah, so it sounds like that part of you obviously that you said was that kind of resistant to to going in but part kind of thinking well now I'm going to get the help that I need but from the way you've described it it sounds like actually there was maybe maybe aggravated that kind of suicidal ideation and that Mm. by feeling less supported and now this is where I'm supposed to get the help but yeah I, it's really really difficult to know mm. because I would have ward rounds every week and obviously they noticed that I seemed to be getting worse and then they said oh well maybe you just weren't at like the the eye of the storm if of mm. in your illness or whatever and but they weren't even really sure what what to categorize me as because mm. I although I was depressed I had the psychological symptoms and not the physical ones. So I would get up, I got up every day, I would get dressed, I would eat. So those were things that you like typically depressed people on, on paper who are admitted to hospital don't do. They just kind of, and there were quite a few people who were quite catatonic who would literally just lie in bed and not wash, not dress, not take mm-hmm. care of themselves. And I was prepared to do those things. But, you know, I think the reason why um, I did those things was because as a teenager, I had an eating disorder. And so for me, getting up and getting dressed is like a control thing, I think. So it's almost like my two mental health issues combined to give me an ability to get up, uh, which mm. is maybe interesting. I don't know. And then I think I basically when I was moved to the second hospital, I kind of internally decided that this was an opportunity for me to make a change mm. and for me to take ownership of my own mental health and to be accountable for it and not just expect it to be like a a customer service situation mm. um and i think that 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 was the thing which really made the biggest difference mm. do you think there's anything that prompted that decision i think it was mainly being moved to this other hospital because mm. um i just i think i needed when you've got yourself in, a, in an environment where and also i think it's very difficult to kind of appreciate but obviously the people who were working with me they had seen this behavior and it was becoming more and more and more negative. And then probably as a result of that, some of the way that staff were interacting with me was quite negative as well, because I, I suppose nobody wants to walk onto a shift and see someone strangle themselves to the point where they're nearly blue or whatever, you know, nobody wants to see that. So, and having to see that a lot with me <laughs> probably didn't make me their favorite patient, which is fair enough. Um, 
So I think having a change of environment and having a different atmosphere, because it was a really different atmosphere because it was all women and um, it was a purpose-built mental health place mm -hmm. and they had so many more facilities than they had at the first place. Um, I don't know. I think it was just the change and for me to be able to mentally make that transition I think I think the, the physical change helped um, but then you know if you ask a psychiatrist they would say well obviously the medication had kicked in <laughs> so who knows yeah. and and was it a more positive experience in in the second unit um, <laughs> <laughs> was it positive um, more more <laughs> more positive not necessarily you know um, it was more positive in that I felt that the the care was different. It was more kind of, I don't, it was more that people, the staff seemed a lot more patient. And I don't know whether that's because they had a, a greater number of staff, because I think they had a lot of students who were training. So they, they just had more people all the time. And so, whereas in the other hospital, if you wanted some medication or if you wanted a plaster for your cut or whatever, you would have to wait for ages for anyone to to assist you could literally be like an hour before anyone came it, in this hospital there were so many people all the time that i think there was less pressure on the staff and therefore maybe the atmosphere was a bit calmer and they always had music playing and that was really helpful i think it really changed the atmosphere um but obviously i'm still it's a place where people who are very mentally unwell are kept for their own safety and for the safety of other people so you know um, with that comes lots of uh, of interesting and um exciting podcast material <laughs> there you go yeah, yeah. And, and as you said on, on your show you talk about that experience um and we were um i don't know if you want to mention your your podcast a little bit briefly and then we'll talk about kind of the the leaving the unit and going back into the community yeah sure uh well my podcast essentially is just about my experiences on the psych ward i go through a different person that i met uh each time obviously i don't talk about their actual name or anything and so i give everyone a pseudonym and i don't mention whereabouts in the country i am um just because i want to be respectful um and i try and discuss them the condition that they had whether they disclose that to me or something that i've kind of picked up you know, I do make it very clear on my podcast that I'm not a medical expert at all. <laughs> so I could just be talking rubbish and that's fair enough. Um, but I really try and look at kind of what I learned and what I think we can all learn because I think there's so much uh, about mental health, particularly on a psychiatric unit that people just don't know about. And the presentation in the media is just, oh, mad people locked away with straight jackets and being jabbed with needles and they're dangerous people who might attack you and oh, if someone's been on a psych ward, then they're a psycho. And it's always very negative. And actually, what does, what does that do for people who end up on psych wards, like myself, uh, who are then part of society? What kind of reputation are, are we giving people like me? Um, which, you know, I just think a lot of it's really unfounded and, and there's a lot of discussion that needs to be had. So that's what I try and talk about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Amazing. And I think that's... Uh yeah fantastic uh, thing to be be putting out there because as you say for a lot of people their only kind of contact or knowledge is what they see in the media which is yeah. not oh, which is not <laughs> like you say not accurate and go, goes the other way and, and there's I think a lot of stigma um, as we know around mental health generally and um, and then yeah particularly where people have maybe been in, in psychiatric units or had psychosis or things like that, that are kind of, I want to say less commonly understood than like anxiety and depression and those kind of things, which people can kind of get and they've seen on the media, but it's, it's those sort of more complex kind of mental health stuff that, yeah, for a lot of people, I think it's that fear of the unknown, like, well, I watched this film and this is what happens. So. Yeah. And I, th I think it's because what I'm trying to show is that actually there's so much we can learn from these people, mm. these people, I am one of them. <laughs> um, but you know, and you're right, there is this kind of immediate fear thing around, oh my goodness, that person's schizophrenic. So they, you know, they probably want to stab me. They're probably hearing a voice that tells them to attack people. And, and that's just a, like the majority of people who are schizophrenic, the, the person that the voice is telling them to hurt, if, if they are telling them to hurt someone is themselves. So there's mm. just a lot of, of misconceptions and, I think as well there's this us and them 
uh, kind of idea when it comes to things like psych wards where it's like oh it's something that happens to people who are really fragile or really mm. insane and oh, I could that could never possibly be me well I never thought it would be me and you know if on paper I'm um, I was a, a professional a teacher working in a school and all of a sudden I end up on a psych ward it can happen to anyone and uh, it's nothing to be ashamed of and actually I, I think it's conversely one of the best things in many ways that that has happened to me so (laughs) although if you told me that at the time I'm not sure I would have agreed with myself (laughs) yeah I'm sure if someone had said to you the beginning like you'll look back on this and think (laughs) (laughs) you'll cherish these memories (laughs) yeah I'm not sure that would have gone down (laughs) gone down well um so just um just briefly how have you found um the being discharged from the unit uh, back into the kind of community mental health care how has that been um well when I was sectioned one of the things which again I was like oh at least this is a positive thing um to come from it (laughs) um I was told that I would get a like a community mental health nurse who would come and visit me and support me throughout the time uh, for as long as I needed um and that I would also be back under the care of the crisis team hooray (laughs) and um that would be the support network that I would have but actually when I was discharged I was very quickly discharged from the crisis team because they identified that I wasn't suicidal, which again, when I left hospital, I was still having periods of, of wanting to be, which I think, to be honest, are quite natural. I think there are probably moments in all our lives where we think, oh my goodness, and maybe it was a bit unnatural, the frequency as to which I was having them, but I was kind of able to identify by that point, okay, it's just a thought. It doesn't necessarily have to, to mean anything unless I make it mean something. Mm-hmm. But I was discharged by the crisis team and then I was told that I wasn't going to get a community mental health nurse because they just didn't have any that were available. So I was kind of on my own. <laughs> um, and I really had to make do with kind of a timetable that I created for myself (laughs) so I started doing volunteer work I started going to creative writing group I just tried to structure my weeks because I wasn't working I wasn't ready for work yet Um, but I didn't obviously want to end up back in hospital and I was really really terrified of that so I just tried to do things uh, that would make me have a purpose I suppose but also make me look back on my day and think actually even if you are the most worthless person in the world you've helped that toddler or that toddling group that you worked at today you know just little things um and I think if you are struggling with a mental health condition at the moment I would say getting yourself out outside of your house like leaving your house even if it's just to walk your dog or just to go to the shop or help a neighbor just anything tiny um it it really for me it made a massive difference um and then obviously lockdown happens so you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I guess that's that's still true you know with lockdown having that bit of structure of yeah. I'm gonna walk my dog and maybe I'll walk them at this time every day to have that routine because uh, that can be massively supportive to have yeah yeah to have that in place definitely I think I think basically humans are creatures of habit aren't they and mm. you know if you if you don't form the habits for yourself consciously, then I think unconsciously you'll form negative habits, even if they're just negative thoughts that then become, oh, maybe I'll just jump in front of a train. You know, it's a very quick spiral. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's really interesting because I, um, over lockdown, have <laughs> really struggled with a routine, to be honest. Yeah. And and then I sort of got into a new routine, like you say, this unconscious habit of not getting up so early and kind of sleeping in and but wasn't in a particularly like the best headspace kind of doing it and then last week I've sort of gone right I'm going to go the gym's reopened I'm going to go back to the gym and so I have a set time I get up and I have a set time I go to sleep and really quickly I felt the kind of mental benefits of that as well just having that little bit structure in place and even though I kind of feel like before I was like oh I have an alliance so that's like me looking after myself weirdly it's the kind of getting up earlier and, and you know doing the other stuff that actually makes yeah. you feel chilled and more relaxed when you'd kind of think like oh I just have a lion all the time and I'd be really relaxed actually no because I, when I was in the first hospital I was like anytime I wasn't trying to kill myself um I would go go to bed at like 7 p.m and then wake up at about 8 
30 the next day nine o'clock and I was like because if I'm if I'm not dead at least I can be unconscious right mm. <laughs> and I would sleep that whole time and then I would still be tired in the morning and the next day and I think actually sometimes what we think you know feels good at the time is probably long term not necessarily because like, I was never well rested I wouldn't say so mm. <laughs> it's funny isn't yeah. it yeah so uh, before I move on to my, my set questions I ask everyone I wonder if you have like um, a final thought from your experience that um, I guess two one of what you want people to know just kind of general people about um, people who've been through a similar experience to you and then also for kind of professionals or like if you could change the system in any way like what would be your <laughs> big question, what would be your kind of yeah thought around that um I think advice for anyone suffering with a mental health problem is or just anyone in any situation uh is to know that everything has a beginning and everything has an end and it's never I thought that my world was over and it wasn't so um if you just persist even when it feels like that you're literally stepping onto like a there's no path in front of you and you can't see a way like just oh, that sounds really cliche and I'm not trying, <laughs> trying to be really cliche but I'm just trying to I managed to to get through what, what for me was impossible and that confirms to me that there is always hope even if you can't see it there is always hope mm. um, and in terms of what I would change I, I think psychological therapy should be available at every single hospital for people who are mm. on acute psychiatric wards um, I think that patients who have been on psychiatric wards for prolonged periods of time, I met people who'd been in there for over a year. I mean, it's supposed to be an acute means, you know, at, you know, like an, an increased need at that point. Well, I mean, to me, it's not an acute issue if, if they're in there for a long period of time like that. Um, but, you know, what do I know? Mm. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, mental health services. I think it's, at the moment, I think there's a, maybe a growing realization of how stretched the services are, which I think a lot of people have been already saying. But I mm. think at the moment, people are sort of realizing that people who maybe had never had contact with mental health services before or even really thought about their mental health are suddenly, yeah, yeah, um, thinking about it a lot more, which is in, in some ways good, but at the same time, yeah, it's still. Um, I could talk all day about <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yeah um so yeah I have some set questions that I ask everyone and I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on these yeah uh, so my yeah my first one is what always brings you joy in your life my dog always brings me joy in my life he is he is the epitome of joy I got him at the point in which I had a breakdown so probably not the best life decision but at the time it, dogs were the only thing I would go walking and I would see dogs and they would bring me immediate joy because dogs know how to live life <laughs> if, if you're not sure about whether you're living your life correctly just look at a dog <laughs> I mean all mine does is sleep which is oh. um, uh, uh, what kind of dog do you have he is a Vizsladore so he's a, a Hungarian Vizsla cross with a lab so yeah. very high energy loves to eat <laughs> basically me <laughs> yeah awesome. oh, yeah dogs are amazing i mean all all pets are amazing but i think there's something about dogs that yeah, is just for sure. um, what dog what type of dog do you i have, have a staffy oh lovely so very smiley um yeah. lazy <laughs> very <laughs> caring though aren't they sensitive they're, yeah they're very very loving dogs um yeah, yeah. Na- they used to be called nanny dogs because they yeah they've got big hearts but quite misunderstood so it's um yeah anyway let's not go off on like dogs <laughs> dogs for ages as well um so my next question is what makes life meaningful for you what makes life meaningful Mm. um i think the thing in life which is the most meaningful is the relationships that you have with yourself (laughs) relationships with yourself that's good english (laughs) no the relationship that you have with yourself and the relationships that you have with other people i think human connection is so important and I think you can be the richest person in the world and die and have look back on your deathbed and think I've had such an empty life uh, if you don't have people to share it with, which, you know, again, might be a cliche, but perhaps it's a cliche for a reason. Um, And I think fundamentally, if you aren't in a positive space with yourself, 
you you know it doesn't matter where you are or what you're doing you probably won't be happy so mm. yeah yeah I think that's very true uh, so my next well two questions um yeah. our kind of overarching topic I guess on the podcast is about mental well-being yeah. so the first part is what does mental well-being mean to you uh mental well-being means uh to me I would say if you are content the majority of the time just like neutral and content in your everyday experience so you aren't in a high state of anxiety you aren't ecstatic you know all the time but you're just content um then you have good positive mental well-being (laughs) awesome and the follow-up is how you look after your own mental well-being so kind of how you maintain that for yourself uh well <laughs> we talked about it a bit already yeah. but um definitely structure for me is really important uh, i heard somewhere and it really struck a chord with me um if you want self-esteem you have to do esteemable esteemable things and so i always try and contribute to something in my day whether it be creative i love coloring books i discovered that uh in hospital <laughs> um gardening any any form of exercise i find really helpful um and I find as well if I feel that my mental health is going downhill rather than thinking oh well that's that's that then I better just jump on this this train of depression or whatever it might be and go with it you actually if I find if you change your physical environment when you're feeling particularly low or anxious that often has a way of refocusing your mind um so I found that really helpful awesome there thank you for sharing that Uh, My next question is often a little bit of a challenge. (laughs) So are you able to describe your mindset? Am I able to describe my mindset? Mm. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Basically, I feel like being in hospital really stripped me back to my core. And I guess my mindset now is if you're not, if you're not dead, then you still have life to live. <laughs> and that might sound really simplistic, but when I'm having one of those crushing moments of, I don't know, being rejected for a job or falling out with someone or anything negative that might happen, I think, well, I'm not dead yet. So there's still life to live. There's still hope. There's still things that, that, that can be done. There's still something I can contribute and therefore I'm going to carry on. And I think mm. that that, well, I, I think it's been really, really transformative in my life. So yeah yeah thank you for sharing that awesome. uh, so my next question um i always we, so we have a bit of a kind of toolbox approach um some people like that saying some people don't but, but um <laughs> so we we give kind of um lots of ideas to listeners of things that they can try in their life they're going to have um, a massive impact so do you have between one and three top tips that you would recommend that people um, could be people who are struggling with their mental health at the moment or could just be general things that you would recommend that people um, put in their life that are going to have a big impact bye dog <laughs> there you go no I'm just kidding um, I find it's helpful to uh, I guess it's helpful to know know your own mind I think in terms of like I spent a lot of my time living in other people's perceptions of me and not really living for myself and not really knowing what I even wanted because I was so busy trying to please everybody else. And um, I think actually just having the confidence to have some, how do I put this in a, yeah. So just knowing your own mind and being confident in your own opinions, I think is so vital to, to kind of navigating life and this can be something as simple as just setting boundaries um so for example someone wants to ring you or something but you're feeling really overwhelmed you don't have to have that conversation at that time like you can literally say i'd love to speak to you perhaps we could do tomorrow and it's just that sounds really really overly simple simplified but actually that's about looking after yourself first and knowing what's best for you and, and i think we all do intrinsically most of the time know what really is good for us um, but sometimes we're just afraid. We're afraid to kind of speak up for ourselves, even though we wouldn't necessarily treat anybody else as negatively or talk to anybody else as negatively as we do to ourselves. Um, and I think the more that you do it, the easier it gets. So the more, the more you kind of stand up. For, and it's not being selfish. And it's not being 
I don't know, arrogant or anything like that. It's literally just thinking, okay, well, what do I need? And is this okay? And yeah, I, I found that helpful. Um, mm. Something more practical. Um, as I say, any form of distraction, if you're feeling really, really anxious or overwhelmed, I find walking in nature is really, really positive. Um, I live near some woods and I find the woods really relaxing. And I read somewhere that apparently trees emit some sort of chemical which actually makes us relax so yeah definitely the trees <laughs> and thirdly have i got a third one music music's a good way to change your mood mm. um as i say the second hospital i was at that really helped um and but you don't even necessarily have to change your mood it might just be that you feel sad so listen to some sad music and cry it out like that's fine <laughs> yeah I, th- I find sometimes that helps rather than trying to change your mood with music. Sometimes just leaning into a little bit and going, right, I'm yeah. going to be sad or I'm going to have some angry music on because I'm feeling angry. Yeah. It's a bit cathartic. It kind of lets you sort of process it a little bit and then kind of. Yeah. And I, I think that it kind of links with, with the first one that I said about kind of knowing your own mind and realizing, no, actually I am sad right now and I don't need to pretend that I'm happy to please somebody else. And mm. I just need to be sad and listen to some I think sometimes I was I've been listening to some music recently that seems to really uh capture that sort of um low self-esteem and the and the kind of maybe you know being depressed kind of feelings and actually there's something sometimes about how you're feeling being reflected in the lyrics that can kind of make you feel like someone gets me or someone understands or that's what I'm feeling and I think that can be quite a powerful yeah because again that's it's it's all about connection and realizing actually you're not the only person in the world to have felt what you're feeling and that doesn't mean like oh you're not the only one who feels like this it's more (laughs) it's more like actually other people share the same feeling that you're feeling and that's really reassuring sometimes Mm. yeah absolutely awesome and then my my very last question for you is where people can find you online if they want to connect with you if they want to check out your podcast where can they find all of that yeah um i have a website now <laughs> exciting so it's it's just chewyheadpodcast.website and that's it uh otherwise i'm available on all good podcast hosting sites websites apple google all of them um i've just finished series one and series two i will start again with uh on the first of september so awesome. yeah Awesome. And we'll absolutely link in the show notes um, to your website, to your podcast, uh, so that people can find you really easily from there as well. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank you. And I've really loved talking to you and try not to get too distracted by music and dogs (laughs) (laughs) and the state of the mental health system and education system. (laughs) But, you know, I've I've loved, um, yeah, chatting with you and uh, yeah. And thank you so much for being so open and sharing your experience with us. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks again to Ellie for joining us. And as I said, I think it's so important to be talking about stigma still and and that realisation that this is something that that could happen to anyone. And I think from from Ellie sharing her story, it really um, it really makes it clear how it how it, it can be so unexpected it could be something that is is just part of our job but that for, for some reason it leads as it as it did with Ellie uh, to that kind of spiraling as I said thank you to Ellie for joining us um, and I really hope you've joined enjoyed joined well you've obviously joined this episode because you're here now I really hope you have enjoyed this conversation um, I'm not going to waffle on for, for too long at the end. I'm basically going to stop now. Um, but if you've enjoyed this episode, please do share it with someone who you think would enjoy just listening to, to what we've got uh, going on here and the conversations that we have. It really means a lot when you share the show. You can tag us in your Instagram stories. Let us know you're listening. Um, I always love to, to, to hear from you, basically, to hear your feedback, to hear what you think of the show. So please do continue to to listen, to share and to rate and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. That also really helps to to share the show. With all of that, uh, I hope you have a good week. Take care of yourself. Be kind to yourself. 
and I'll be back on Wednesday for another conversation. Bye for now.